This episode of the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair is presented by Thunder Road Guitars. Thunder Road Guitars is the Pacific Northwest's best source for premium, new, used, and vintage guitars, amplifiers, and pedals. Online or in their Seattle and Portland shops, you'll find fantastic customer service and a terrific vibe. I personally always make a stop at Thunder Road Guitars in Seattle. Uh, they're a great bunch of guys, and it's just not a complete Seattle trip unless I go and say hi and see what uh, wonderful stuff they have. These are real people offering real service, folks. Uh, use code ANTIHEROES10 to get 10% off at www.thunderroadguitars.com and tell them I sent you. Hey guys, this is Zach from the Anti-Heroes Podcast, and I want to welcome our newest sponsor to the show, DistroKid. DistroKid helps musicians get their music on all the major streaming platforms, and artists keep 100% of their royalties. Can you believe that? Anti-Heroes listeners get 30% off at distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Again, that's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Anti-Heroes. Thank Thank you so much and support all the folks at DistroKid because they're they're doing amazing work and we couldn't be happier to have them on board. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors over at Jim Dunlop and MXR Pedals. We couldn't be luckier to have these guys on board with us. I personally use these products and you should too. Find out more about them at jimdunlop.com. Let's get on to the podcast. Welcome to the Anti-Heroes Podcast with Zach Blair. I am Zach Blair. How you doing? Thank you for listening. Thank you for checking this out. Maybe you're just checking this out today because you're a Converge fan. And who is not a Converge fan? If you're a fan of aggressive, heavy music, um, there's no one really uh, as influential as genre-pushing I say it in the interview, but a lot of bands try to sound like Converge, but no one quite sounds like Converge. And I think I embarrass Kurt because I sort of brag about him uh, more than is humanly comfortable. But I am endlessly impressed with Kurt Ballou. He is a very good friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. I consider myself very lucky to call him a friend um, because what a uh, inspiring dude. He does so many things and he does everything he does very well. If you don't know who Kurt is, go out and buy yourself a Converge record. Maybe start with their seminal record, Jane Doe. It's an amazing record. They have a new record coming out very soon. Chelsea Wolfe, um, Stephen Brodsky. Anyway, let's get into this conversation. 
Kurt. Hey, Zach. How's it going, buddy? I'm doing well. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me on. It's good to see you too. And thank you for being on. You were one of the people that when I kind of dreamt this whole thing up, I wanted to talk to my friend, Kurt. Yeah, you're just saying that. I'm not. I'm <laughs> not. I swear. Um, I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, it's the truth. And, it, and it's exactly why I wanted to do this podcast in the first place. Because like you and I were saying, you know, we're guys that get a modicum of guitar press and things like that. But in my personal opinion, I don't think there's enough attention due to what you've brought to the instrument. And that's my humble opinion, but I, I believe I'm, I'm right. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I don't really think of myself as that, but it's nice to hear. Well, it's kind of in everything you do. I always thought it was so interesting that with Converge, and, and we'll, we'll just speak about that particular contribution right now, um, it is aggressive music. It is heavy music. But everything you've done in that band, as far as your own approach to the guitar, has been original, even down to the instrument choice. I know you used to use, I don't know if you still do, but Rickenbacker guitars. And no one would think of that in a heavy music context, but you did, and you did it to, to great effect, I thought. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Fugazi. That's true. He used Rickenbacker, and he was cool, and that was aggressive music. Granted, it was not like as informed by metal as what I do, but um, no, the Rick that I have, um, I haven't really played it live in a long time, but um, it's a 650A. It's just a solid body maple guitar with humbuckers, um, yeah. you know, neck through. So it's, it's kind of an outlier for Rickenbacker in terms of how it feels and sounds. And I just, yeah, I really like how it fit me. Uh, I, it has a uh, inch and three quarter wide um, neck at the nut, which is really great for me with my giant hands. Like I always have, <laughs> like I have to play with really super low action because I have such big fingers. So if I'm, if I don't have low action, then like I'm always accidentally muting adjacent strings to whatever I'm playing. And then that extra width on the fretboard is really helpful to me. Right. You know, we have the exact opposite hands. I have very small hands. I also play with really low action because I don't like the guitar to fight me, but I need thinner necks. I just, you know, it's kind of the same. Would you like inch and five eighths or something? Yes. I like, well, oddly enough, I have one SG that I love that's a Norlin Arrow 76 that has actually been shaved down. So I'm talking like, you know, you're talking that width and okay. like, yeah, you know, yeah, I never know which one, to, which one to call it. Thickness, I think is like finger to thumb and then width is like how wide the nut is i think you're exactly right so for me uh we'll say the nut yeah that could be smaller but i also like it where you know what i call go fast necks like the ibanez necks of the 80s where they were like shredder go fast it necks. comes down to like volume so for me like when i go for a thinner nut i want a thicker shaft i can um, see that <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> never mind we both went there yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, we're all like 14 year old boys inside. Of course, I think. that's why we do what we do. Yeah. So yeah, for me, it's like, it's more of like the overall volume of wood in my hand. So when the nut is thinner, I want the shaft thicker and, and vice versa. Gotcha. I think the same is true for like drum sounds. Actually, I've noticed like, when I'm like engineering records and like, like if a snare drum gets smaller in diameter, I want it to go deeper. And if it gets bigger in diameter, I want it to go shallower to kind of preserve a similar volume with inside the drum. Well, that makes sense. And, and, and you know, for me, I, I think generally speaking, I like thinner necks, but there's also the ones that you're right, thinner at the nut. If it's a little, maybe a hard C or even a boat neck, what they used to call the Telecaster boat necks, which goes a hard V. If it's a little thicker, I can deal with that a little bit better if it's thinner at the nut there. That stuff totally affects your playing style too. Like Sometimes I pick up guitars that feel totally different for me. And I'm like, oh, you know what? I would just play music completely differently on this thing, like Strandberg or something. Like, 
with the squared off profile. Like you'd hold the guitar differently. Like you'd put the strap higher or lower or whatever. Like right. it, it just, it changes how you approach the instrument. Um, I couldn't agree more. It's kind of just like skateboarding, you know, like you see, um, or BMX or something, you know, you, it's just like taking whatever is in front of you, whatever is in your environment and figuring out how to use it to suit whatever you're trying to accomplish. And, um, right. I think so much great music has been made, not by people like tone questing endlessly for the ultimate piece of gear or a piece of gear that was used on a record they love, but more so just like using whatever that is in front of them and then developing a sound and a song based on, you know, whatever they have available. Um, you know, I'm telling bands that kind of stuff in my studio all the time because people are always like, oh, we got to use this pedal because such and such a band used that pedal. And I'm like, I guarantee that band used that pedal because that's what they had and not because that's what they wanted you know it was in front of them yeah and then eventually that may contribute to some sort of legend of a tone but that's not where it came from well and i think that's the true testament to you and and what you've brought to this conversation is you know still to this day even though you have so much success with what you do and so many people seek your studio out it's still a DIY ethic that you bring to all of this. You know, like we were talking about your STL Tone Hub profiles that, you know, I've been to your studio. It's the heads that you put in there that people wouldn't have thought to put in there. You know, it's the heads you personally have had in your collection for years. And I was just, it was so, to me, my friend Kurt, looking at this this gear, I was like, oh, I remember that head at his studio. Instead of, oh, I'm going to put 5150s and I'm going to do all this other shit. You know, it's like, it was actually your stuff. And it was a kind of a DIY, uh, you know, amp pack. It was great. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I wanted to bring something to the table with that that other people weren't bringing. You know, I think everybody's got like the 5150 and the, and the JCM800 and the, the diesel or whatever. And it's not hard to find good software versions of those amps, but like how many software versions of a Gibson Titan are there? And, right. Uh, how many V4s are there? And, you know, I should also say the way that that thing works is it's not a model of a particular amp. It's a snapshot of a particular tone. So in the case of like the Gibson Titan, it's like, it's that head, but it's also the pedal that I put into that head, the cab that it's going into, the mics that I chose, the mic preamps, the EQ compression and stuff that, that are on the mic signal, and how I dial that in for a specific sound. The Tone Hub thing is a snapshot of that. And now it gives you some additional controls like bass, treble, whatever, gain, and that sort of thing that you might have on an amp. But it's not a model of my signal path at all. That bass and treble are not the same bass and treble that are on the amp itself. So what I kind of love about that is like, A, it's not replacing the gear that I used. More, It's more replacing me than it is replacing the gear that I use because you can't actually get the whole range of tones out of that particular piece of gear that I had using this pack. However, because it, um, because it gives you like all these additional controls to modify my snapshot of that tone, you can get sounds that you never would have been able to get in the analog world. And I think that's really exciting. You know, actually Mitch from uh, Napalm, actually, actually, I guess he's not in the band right now, but um, you know, longstanding guitar player from Napalm, like he was telling me that, you know, he actually preferred his Kemper models of his amps than to the amps themselves because oh, wow. Kemper also does something similar where it gives you that additional range of control to modify one of their profiles. 
I think that stuff's cool. You know, I love, I'm an old guy, but I'm actively trying not to be a Luddite. And um, I really love when technology can be used creatively. Yeah. I mean, I think you are definitely actively engaging in not being a Luddite. You, you always, I always learn things every, if you and I talk for five minutes, I take something away from that conversation. I am really running towards being a Luddite. Well, I mean, it's not as, I mean, honestly, like plugging an SG into a Marshall is way easier and way more fun than like twiddling knobs in a computer all day long. Like you have to have the patience and the resilience to put in the upfront work especially if you're going for something unique to like dial in the sound. Like for example, the latest Converge uh, record, Blood Moon One, that's like our collaborative record that we did with Chelsea Wolf, Ben Chisholm and Steve Brodsky. Um, In June, we're doing some shows for that in Europe. And that thing, it's all um, helixes, line six helixes for the guitar tones. And it was a huge amount of upfront work to do it, but like, we're playing to a click track and we've got all our delays synced up with that. We could do all the channel switching with MIDI if we wanted to, but it's not, we don't actually have to do that. But like all the sounds sort of mimic the album sounds, but then all the mixing is, or a lot of the mixing is basically baked into the helixes. So the guitar levels, the guitar panning, all that stuff is baked in. So like we send Steve and I um, send stereo signals to our front of house engineer and based on like which part of the song we're doing all of our panning and level is baked into that. So like if I'm playing a solo, I'll be panning in the middle and then Steve might be playing rhythm, but he'll be like pseudo double tracked in the sides while I'm soloing and then vice versa for me. And then, you know, we're, we're paying for companion parts or sometimes he's playing like acoustic simulator while I'm doing something else. And it's like, it wouldn't be possible without using helixes or some other sort of modeling amp and it would be a whole lot more work on the front of house engineers part in order to um to get the songs to sound as full as they do on the album so but that's like a huge amount of upfront work and i have the time i do have like i enjoy that challenge and i have the patience to put into it but like it's a lot of work and i also love that like you know the last show converge played which is like the the sort of normal version of converge was like outside with a vocal PA on the street in Austin and like, you know, the drums aren't mic'd and like, there's nothing, there's no pomp and circumstance at all. It's just like plug in and go. And I love that too. And I love the the fact that like we get to do both of those things. Well, I think that's, that's, and again, one of your greatest virtues um, of many, but is patience. You're a record producer. So obviously you have a certain amount of patience that other musicians don't have because you're able to make a living and be prolific at that. And, quite sought after, I might add. And again, I think it goes, if you listen to Converge, if you listen to your guitar playing, if you listen to anything you've added to this conversation, it is patience. It is in droves and that's so clearly abundant you know and it's funny with the modeling and the amp profiling i actually i i am a luddite but i am the argument is becoming one-sided for me when you're guys like you and i that do this for a living and we fly out and we do things like that and you sort of and we were joking but i remember backstage uh i think it was in europe at a festival you had the idea of one road case with two steinbergers and a line six pod uh and that was all in in one road case Uh I don't think it was a pod, but I think it was a pod because this was years ago, and you were like, "It was." I've like, never been a pod. You never okay. I think it was just for your fly rig. It was like I we were just going to do that. I was hot on the Steinbergers for a minute, um, 
and I had one and I made it through one song at soundcheck with it. Yeah. Um, it was great for like warming up and stuff and you could put it anywhere, which was awesome. Um, but like the thing that I didn't realize about those guitars is cause the, they're so light and because the body is so small, you put all this energy into like holding it in place right. so that you can play it. Yeah. Like where like a regular sized guitar, like has a bit of weight and hangs, these things don't really hang. They're just, it's kind of reminds me of like playing a guitar with no strap right. or something. You're like, you're always just chasing it around and it ended up being actually harder to play. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Than, than easier. But yeah, I love the fly rig. Actually, I'll send you a picture of my new fly rig. Like for most stuff, I use the, um, the full sized Helix floor unit, but um, I also got a Helix HX Stomp XL, which is a, sort of a medium sized version. And I've got a, like my regular Helix road case can now fit two quilter heads and the stomp XL and all my cables in one case, which is great. Like the reason to do this stuff is like, it takes out all the unknowns, right? There's when you're touring, especially when you're playing festivals and like throw and go festivals in particular, where you don't get a sound check. It's such like an unknown thing every day. Like you have no idea what the mics they're going to have you have no idea what heads they're going to have what cabs like the pa is different every day like everything's different every day and if you have like 15 minutes from when the previous band ends there's not really a lot of time to dial that in so if you can go up there have the power amps that you're using every day the tones you're using every day take the mics out of the equation right um give the same sound to front of house every day have the same sound you know on stage every day but still make it not like a burden to the places that you're playing for you to be able to do that um, is really super beneficial and you know the other thing too i use a stereo rig in converge because i'm the only guitar player um so my stuff is actually pseudo doubled but even if it wasn't like because it's a stereo rig there's two there's two amps or two amp models depending on what i'm doing and so there's a phase relationship between those two amps and if you're playing outside especially like you're probably on a bouncy stage so those mics are like doing this all the time so the phase relationship between the two mics is constantly changing right so the first thing that i started doing was using palmer pdio3 cabinet slash microphone simulators those things are analog and they sound good i had those like tucked into the back of my cabs and that would go in line between my head and the cab and then you know there's a xlr out so when i started doing that then like front of house is getting pretty much the same signal every day and um you know monitor world is getting the same signal every day and it's phase stable so my cabs can get bumped around the mics you know mics can get bumped around and the phase is not changing so that becomes like a really stable thing and then moving towards like the helix just allowed me to have that but also have like ir is just straight up sound better than analog speaker simulator so it gave me a better tone sure and it gave me uh, more flexibility and more portability and i love it i'm i'm never going back i mean i'll, I'll probably always record 98 percent of the guitars in my studio with real amps sure. but um but actually i was just recording something this morning and um i have i was using real amps but i have an old so prior to prior to sorry i have a uh wandering mind i so do i come on i keep thinking like oh this little backstory piece i gotta tell first before i tell piece i'm talking about so that's why we've always gotten along yeah okay so prior to everybody using like you know fractals and kempers and all that stuff um bands would have 
you know, the big touring bands would have isolation cabinets. Right. Or they would have cabinets off stage, like facing the other direction. I remember seeing Muse one time and noticing that they had like diesels on the ground behind the stage facing to the woods. Yeah. Um, and then they had like like a plexiglass screen around the drum set because yep. that singer has so much like compression and gain on his voice that like the vocals just wouldn't be audible if there was like blaring cymbals and blaring guitar amps on stage. And that band in particular, you really want to hear the vocals. So then, you know, the other way to do that was isolation cabs. So you had a four by 12 in an isolation cabinet that's mic'd up and then yep. there's just an XLR connector on the outside of it. And so you get a forklift or whatever and like roll that thing right. into the truck and you mic it up once at the beginning of the tour and then it's good to go for the whole rest of the tour. And you just, you know, roll it out onto the, the stage or behind the stage um, whenever you're playing. And so, you know, there's a few bands in the Boston area that are sort of, you know, the legendary like Boston hometown pride bands. And those bands are Aerosmith, Dropkick Murphys, The Cars, Jay Giles, and Godsmack. That's right. Godsmack. So I ended up acquiring the uh, former isolation cabinet of Tony Diesel from Godsmack. And now I have that in the basement of my studio, which is awesome. I put a Marshall 412 in it, mic'd it up with like a Sennheiser 906. And um, it's just there, ready to go at all times. So, like, I had to record something quick this morning, so I just, like, plugged the JMP into the wall, and now there's a cab already mic'd up, and I just had to plug in a mic preamp and get a level, and, you know, within two minutes, I'm recording. So, you know, that's just as fast as using, like, an amp sim. So I'll usually do that if I have some kind of, like, last-minute emergency guitar thing that I need to record quickly. But, you know, I love, I love amp sims too and actually i use i use helix on bass during recordings all the time so i'm all in on helix we're on those uh oh god i was just talking about it earlier um the torpedoes oh yeah 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 we're on we're on those now and i love them yeah they're great i have the um torpedo reload which doesn't that one doesn't that one's not really a live tool because it doesn't have any irs loaded into it it's more of a studio tool so it's a reactive load and um it sends a filtered out into your DAW and then you put the wall of sound DAW plugin on it and record it that way. But there's like all these like hacks with it that are really cool. Like you don't have to use wall of sound. Like you can all like mic up an amp like regular, but then also put the torpedo reload in between the head and the cab. And I can use that to attenuate it if I need to, which I don't usually need to. It's got a built in DI. So I'll take a DI off that, but then I'll also take the unfiltered, line level version of the speaker output record that at the same time so now i am printing both my mic signal and an unmiked version of that so if at mix time if i'm like ah eh, you know that cab i mic didn't really work out let me try some ir so i can do that or if i can or if i say like oh actually that cab situation that I that I had sounds sick. Let me save that for future use. I can create an IR from that cab just using what I've already recorded. Oh, wow. um, and then so then I can save that IR for future use. You know, anytime I plug in that head, I could just like not even plug in the cab part of it. Right. And it's it's really super accurate. 
we lucked out with our sound guy because he's really, uh, you know, he's he's like a speaker collector guy. So he mm. prides himself on having every Celestian speaker ever made. So he's shot every one of those, you know, in every cabinet simulation and everything. So he's able to just go through this endless bank with what sounds best for my or Tim's playing out front and all that stuff. So nice. And it can change and whatnot. So, you know, you said earlier you're using uh, quilter heads. Uh, how are you liking those things? Those things are awesome. So the way that I use those in Converge is just as power amps um but they are totally bulletproof like that show we played in austin a couple weeks ago it was like 105 degrees it was we played it like one in the afternoon so the sun is directly above us beating down on these heads and like you know the heads get warm under ordinary circumstances just from use but like with uh you know 105 degrees and then and then the sun on top of them you couldn't touch the amps Wow. After the set, we just had to let them sit for a while and they didn't miss a beat. Like they're, the things are indestructible, you know, and they're, you know, you can have a speaker not plugged in, you can have, um, mismatched impedances and it just, you know, while they, they might not actually want you to do that, like right. the, the amps don't seem to care and they just keep on ticking. Like they take a licking. Um, so I love them. I just use the powering up in but the preamp section of it's great and i generally bring like a distortion pedal and a tuner just in case like the helix goes down i'll plug into the front end of that and i think they sound awesome you said helix stomp is that more of like sort of a foot pedal out in front of you yeah they have the they have a whole different bunch of versions of helix um i use helix native in my studio which is a plug-in and then there's uh, the Helix floor model, which is what I generally use in Converge and definitely use in Converge Blood. I mean, that's the largest one that has, it has scribble strips for each button so you know what each button's function is. And then there's like a built-in expression pedal. They've got a rack version of that and they've got like a light version of that. But then they have um, a couple of products that are smaller versions of Helix that have less DSP. Gotcha. And um, one of them is called HX Effects, maybe. That one's not amp modeling. That's just like sort of takes the place of pedals. Right. It might have some amp mods in it, but I'm not sure. I, I've not used that one myself. But then there's um, HX Stomp and HX Stomp XL. Okay. And those are much smaller versions of Helix. So the HX Stomp just gives you like three buttons. So if you want to do a bunch of pedal switching on that, it just requires more like multiple taps to do things, which is not always great live. But like if you basically have the same tone throughout an entire song, it's great. Um, Or just maybe one variation in tones throughout a song is great. So that one's really good for bass players. And that one's that one can do stereo and mono. And then the HX Stomp XL is DSP wise the same as an HX Stomp. It just gives you like four extra buttons, I think. Okay. So far, I've only used the regular sort of flagship Helix floor model in Converge, but I've recently set myself up to be able to use the HX Stomp XL in Converge also. I still thought your original idea of two Steinbergers would have worked, but that's just me. Uh, (laughs) I mean, at a certain point, you're like, why not just have all backing tracks? No shit. I know, right? You still got to do something. You got got to, (laughs) right? 
But I, you know, I, I argued with all this for so long. And then even, you know, Brian Baker, who I have interviewed here now, he went to Kemper's and, you know, he would give me so much shit about my gear always. And, you know, he was such the, like, you know, if, if Michael Shanker didn't have it or whatever, or Angus Young, and now he's using Kemper too. So it's like, well, he's been on Kemper for a while. Wait, do you know the secret mod to his uh, Jubilee heads? No, I don't. You know how he has Jubilees on stage? Yeah, yeah. That are they're kind of like they're backups slash fake amps. Sorry, Brian, if I'm revealing your secrets. But no, he did a mod to them. He flipped the standby switches upside down. Really? So that it looks like the amp is on. Like if you zoomed in, it would look like the amp is on, but it's actually on standby. And I love it. I love it. Brian, sorry if you're mad at me. Oh, he's he'll get over it if he is, but I'm sure he's not. That's so him to do something like that. And then give me shit about playing like JCM 900s or whatever. Well, I mean, it's like it's awful when you're like watching a music video and someone's playing a guitar that's not plugged in. I I agree. I agree. Or someone's it's, singing into the backside of a microphone or something like that. You right. know, you just like you want it to be believable. And, and, you know, even though you know that like somebody's not like actually recording a song on top of a mountain. Or yeah. like, you know, or whatever, wherever they happen to be pictured, like at least give them a cable. I don't know. I always like try to have like a cable plugged in, like going somewhere off camera. So you don't. Sure. Know. It's the aesthetics of the whole thing. You know, real quick question. If you were to take a distortion pedal right now as a fly thing and just had a distortion pedal, a tuner, what distortion pedal is that going to be? Boss OS2. A Boss OS2? No shit. Yeah. That's the sound of, of Merrimack Valley Hardcore. Converge, Caven, Piebalds, we all we all use the OS2. And that the only reason for that is because that's the only distortion pedal Jake owned. And I I'm trying to remember the order of things. It might be from when I got my first trainer, or it might have been uh-huh. something prior to that, but like it needed a boost and Jake was like, Oh, I have this distortion pedal. No fucking way. And I was like, Yeah, let me try it. And like I messed around with it and like it sounded cool. It's like it's a really like mid forward super tight sound so it's like it starves the bass a little bit but it also starves the treble so you get a bunch of overtones to it without it being too like clanky but you can make it clanky by 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 turning the color mix more towards the distortion side than the overdrive side but it i generally have it like almost all the way towards overdrive and then distortion down pretty low volume turned all the way up and just using that as a way to kind of give a two like an older style tube amp some pre-emphasis and just the uh, the classic yellow boss distortion pedal. No, that, no, the OD one would be the classic one. The OS two is basically like an SD one and a DS one in parallel in the same box. Okay, but blended more towards the SD one. But it doesn't sound the same as either of those pedals. It's really its own thing. So, so yeah, I started doing that. I'm like the oldest one of all the people in that scene. So the other people like Steve from Caven and stuff, like they were like, oh, Kurt has this OS too. I'm going to get one of those. Right. And uh, the, the Caven still use them religiously. Hasn't that pedal been around since the 80s? Probably. I mean, Converge started in 91 or the name Converge came along in 91. So that was a late 80s pedal. It is yellow. Yeah, it might, it might not be the like, the first boss distortion pedal, but I remember seeing that pedal around since like forever. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, boss has several yellow distortion pedals, but it's not like the ubiquitous, like, right, right, right. Um, it's more of like a, like a mustardy kind of yellow. So if you're going to go for, if you're going up to like a clean amp and you had a boss OS two, you can generally kind of get your thing. Not like a fully clean amp. Like I probably wouldn't, if there was like a JC one twenty. I don't know if I'd get it out of that. 
um, <laughs> right. like a JMP or like a V4 or some kind of like, you know, semi-clean, like like a tube amp that gets raunchy but isn't designed for metal. Like this will tighten it up enough so it could go chug-chug without being sloppy. I've had nightmares about your backline is just a rolling jazz chorus and you have no option. There's no distortion. There's nothing. There's no pedals for you. Yeah. It's like, here you go, buddy. This is what you got. You're in Russia or some weird shit, you know. You must have had experiences like that. I mean, I remember one time we like flew over to Europe and like, our bags got lost and we had to play on entirely borrowed gear for the first show. And like, you know, I'm a big guy and the guitar that I had to borrow, whoever it was, was not a big person. So like, Uh I'm basically playing like, like you could see my belt buckle underneath this guitar. I had to play it so high. And like, I generally play like 11s or 12s for strings and there were like eights on it. And it was like, Oh, this is awful. Um, wait, what, let's ask the other dorky question. What guitars are you playing right now? I know you, you actually, you're an insane person. You made guitars, and they were really good. They still are. They're they're amazing. I well, no, I didn't know if you were still making them. You're one of those people that you you have a brain like I do, and you you focus on things, and you get really good at them, and then you know you do do other things. I didn't know if you were still making those. Yeah, well, I'm an engineer by trade. I have a degree in aerospace engineering, and my father's a machinist, so I kind of grew up around people making stuff. You know, he's he had a motorcycle shop when I was a kid and still builds sidecar motorcycles. So like I, I grew up around making stuff. So that's kind of, that's where my, where my mind is at. And, you know, like I think a lot of successful people will give you the advice that is uh, focus on one thing and do it really well. Like I'm terrible at that. I want to do a lot of things like kind of good because I get bored, like focusing on one thing for too long. So, and I also think of like, making gear and making recordings and making songs sort of different sides of the same coin anyway oh for sure so i i love the whole thing but yeah guitar wise like i had i had a slow summer at my studio and my dad had a slow summer at his shop probably like 2009 ish and so i ended up making a bunch of guitars in his machine shop that summer um maybe about 30 guitars that I sold, either kept or sold to friends. It wasn't anything, I'm not a luthier. It was slab bodies. So I was basically making bodies and pick guards. And in a few cases, I made some bridges or some bridge components and then mm. would get warmth necks and then a bunch of parts and you know paint them and assemble them and per my customer specs. The, and my customers were just friends. They weren't really available to the public. So I learned a lot from that process. And then like I decided I loved the, the process of designing guitars, but I wasn't really the best person to build them. And I didn't really, en- I didn't really enjoy sanding, but I enjoyed the design aspect of it. So I kept doing that. And I tried a few different contract manufacturing partners and over the years and had, you know, a couple false starts, you know, people like, taking on the work and then not following through or taking on the work and then going out of business or you know, different things happen. So it wasn't until like I found a manufacturing partner in Keystone Music a couple of years ago that I was able to really pursue the guitar thing again. So in the past couple of years, I've been going pretty full on with building guitars. I've got another big batch coming in the middle of this summer. Uh, I'll be selling a bunch of them directly, but also a whole bunch go will be going to Chicago Music Exchange. So they'll be available over there. And also still uh, building pedals. That's also done a mix of me building myself and contract manufacturing. Plus I have uh, a DIY PCB business. So 
for some of my designs, like they're build it yourself type of things. And I think what actually one of the, it's hard to find great things about the pandemic, but I think one of the cool things about it was how so many people's uh, level, leveled up their skills during that time. Like, you know, when they were stuck at home and had more time in their hands. And so, you know, everybody got better at cooking, but like a lot of people picked up building guitar pedals. So it was really fun to be engaged with people, um, you know, as they, as they learn that skill. Well, I was going to brag about that, but you always make me feel so inadequate because you Aww. do so many great things. You do so many things. You do all right, so well. all right. Enough of the ego stroking. All right. It's the truth though. It's the truth. I went to fucking Berkeley, uh, online and you know, for the pandemic, that's what I did. It was great. But you know, you made guitars and pedals and it's not ego stroking, my friend. It's just pointing out the uh, you, you actually did these things, which is more than a lot of people. That's for sure. Well, I'll say if I had to give out advice, it would be like, if you're interested in something, just do it. Like, I, I feel like so many people come up with myriad excuses for why they can't do something rather than just yeah. doing it. And like, I had no business designing guitar pedals when I was starting, but like, I just started asking around, asking people who knew about it and you know, punishing them and learning about it. And I certainly have plenty more to learn, but um, I was passionate about it and I enjoyed it. And now, you know, it's a, it's a little part-time business for me. And a, a lot of people have, you know, built stuff I've designed and enjoyed it. So I think it's awesome. Forgive my, forgive my ignorance about not knowing that more, you know, last time you and I talked, I mean, we talked frequently, but I think you were just starting the guitar. You had, you had made the guitars, but they weren't available. Why, you know, to, they were just available to your friends. You showed me pictures and things like that. It was sort of larval stages. Uh, and what's the, the brand name of your guitar? God city instruments. If we're doing plugs right now, uh, GodCityInstruments.com. And that's, and that's the guitars you play on stage. Yeah. I've been lately. It's been a, mix of my own guitars and guitars made by my friends at wild customs in France. Um, gotcha. they make some really awesome stuff. I've been using their Firewild model a lot lately. I'm also getting, they're building, um, a model called the Impala for me right now. And those are loaded with these SP customs pickups that are, um, these really high output dual blade pickups and i really like those a lot and i'll sort of pick gear based on what is in the set list of whatever we're playing and the Firewild that i've been playing has 24 frets and converge has a few songs that need 24 frets so if we're doing or might do those songs in the set list i'll play i'll play that guitar none of the gods of the instruments guitars have 24 frets at least not yet wow well it's really crazy impressive uh, it is um thanks yeah. I mean, like I said, it makes me feel like a fucking really lazy asshole. <laughs> that's my own, that's my own hang on. Well, I mean, uh, like, take, take that. I mean, I feel like a lazy asshole too. So like take that self-loathing, harness it and do something with it. Well, you're right. You're right. I mean, but then, you know, you get to the end of your day. It's like, what the fuck did I just do? You know what I mean? Like, Anyway, you actually have children, right? Yes. I'll say having children has changed my patience. Like, I think I'm still generally a patient person, but like kids are definitely trying on the patience. It's made my time a lot more valuable. So like, right. and I notice this a lot when recording bands is that like, I don't have patience for someone who is not prepared 
to come into the studio yeah. as much as I used to. Um, I enjoy recording people and I feel like I can make a big difference on a recording, but I feel like if someone hasn't prepared, then it's a waste of my time and I get frustrated more easily than I used to prior to having kids. Um, so in those situations, I'm just like, ah, I wish I was just mixing because like, I don't have time to like spend five days on this bass part. I think that's one thing I've never had is patience with people's poor musicianship. Um, only because I've always, you know, and I think everybody should, if this is what we're all doing, we should be showing up with a certain level of quality that doesn't belabor somebody else's time. Y yes. I mean, yes, but that's, that being said, like there's plenty of people that are terrible musicians who have made some really great art. So I, I try not to be snobby about it, but it is tedious. There's, there's a difference between like someone who has awesome style or is an awesome songwriter or is like conceptually a great musician and a great songwriter, even if they, they don't have the dexterity for it. But there's also people that just like are the drummer's friend that are in the band, you know, right. <laughs> um, that's awesome too. But like, that's not how I want to spend my time. Well, there's also the, the most frustrating, I think, is when you know somebody can do it and they just aren't taking it seriously or they showed up unprepared, like you said, but you know they're good enough. Yeah. If you had just given this 10% more effort, you wouldn't be wasting my time right now and we wouldn't be here. So Sometimes I think good musicians get confused with well-rehearsed, mediocre musicians. Right. I think that there's people who can... That's a great way to put that. As long as they're really well rehearsed, can come across as being a good player. But then you, you see their limitations really quickly when you throw curveballs at them. So like the bands that I enjoy recording the most or just or the people that I enjoy recording the most are the people who when you say like, hey, can you try out this idea that they can go out there and play it in a few takes to be able to try the idea it can be disheartening if you have like an idea that you think will make the song better and the person just doesn't have the ability to execute it or sort of sabotages it because it's hard for them to unlearn and relearn right i've also found that i almost admire it more when somebody has let's say four or five things in their wheelhouse in their bag of tricks and they've made that their style and they know they know their boundaries. I think a good musician yeah. is somebody that that really t plays within their own boundaries and has made that their style. They know what they're good at, and they know their limits in the. And that kind of makes their you know their own specific phrasing. There's certain people, especially in punk rock, like you and I do, uh, or heavy aggressive music, that they do their thing. No one really sounds like them, and they stay in that wheelhouse. And they stay. That's interesting as well. That's awesome. I love that. Especially as a fan, you know, like, sure, there's always this push pull between musicians and an audience, like, like an audience wants a musician to be the thing that they know them for and to never change, usually. And uh, I think musicians a lot of times like, want to be more than that. They want to do something different. They're bored of being the thing that people love them for. And they want to be something else. Also, like, you know, whether it's like, the drummer wishes they were a singer, or whether it's like, the metal guy wishes he was the indie guy or, you know, anything right. like right. I started a band last week. I'm playing bass. Like, you know, do people, really? does anybody want to hear me play bass? I don't know, but like, I don't really give a shit. Cause I'm having a lot of fun with it. That's great. Do you have a name yet? Um, no, not yet. We, we still need a singer. 
Um, oh, okay. This has been this has actually been my problem every time I've attempted to start a new band. Um, I s- start it instrumentally first, and then get stuck trying to find a vocalist, and then the band fizzles and dies. Um, (laughs) yeah like the last time i did this i ended up like writing lyrics and and singing on the whole record and then like it wasn't music but i could sing and play guitar at the same time and it just it just sort of fizzled out because of the lack of personnel so i'm endeavoring to not have that problem on this one i want to get a singer involved before our next practice but like it was awesome like we sounded like a band by the that's great. You know, after writing a song, it felt like oh, I'm in a band. Like this is great. We recorded it. Um, yeah, this is awesome. There's nothing like that, too. There's nothing like that. I love the fact that I practice in my studio too, and I can have like a. I wish like I had a document of like the first converge practice. You know, <laughs> that would be really fun to listen to, um, or painful. But um, you should name this. You should name this new band just your last name, like Van Halen. Um, well, you know, one of the band name ideas is one of our names so it might be but i don't, I don't want to call it blue do you remember bonham i was listening to bonham the other day i do remember bonham it was it sounded like led zeppelin it was great <laughs> it sounds like a like a hair metal led zeppelin it does it fully does but hey there's there's dio that was his last name i mean yeah but he was yeah he was like a known person um when he started that sure you're a known person, but I'm not like I have no interest in being an island in this band. Like I, don't, I know, I, I know. I my songs always get better when collaboration is involved. Well, it would be like suggesting that I make a band called Blair, and that wouldn't happen either. So you know, why not? I mean, I mean, you're right. You're right, Kurt. I mean, you're right. You know what I love? I love that uh, that first Mammoth WVH video. You know, you know where, where he plays all the instruments and it's just that he's like every member of the band and he's also the engineer and like the runner and everything. I think it's great. And I guess he apparently did play everything on the record. Oh, I believe it. He's an amazing musician. He really is. I mean, he started as a drummer and his fucking uncle is Alex Van Halen. It's like, Jesus, goddamn Christ. It's like, well, fuck. Wouldn't it be embarrassing, though, if he I mean, with it, where his family are so good, if he just like sucked. Man, when we're off the air, I've got a story. Okay. Just remember. And we'll wrap this up because you and I could actually talk forever. I have two more questions for you real quick. Okay. Since we're talking about guitars, do you have one that got away, like one that got stolen or you had to pawn or something you have lamented getting rid of? (laughs) Well, it's interesting. I was thinking about this earlier because you asked me about the Rickenbackers earlier, and I told this story uh, to somebody else just like two or three days ago. Um, So the Rickenbacker 650A that I had um, or that I have, I saw that at Mr. Music, which is, um, this was in the mid nineties, but Mr. Music's still around. It's the kind of the only good guitar store left in Boston and went in, saw this guitar was like, Oh, that's for me. I need it. And it was like 800 bucks and I didn't have the money. So like I needed a few days, I sold some stuff or whatever, got the money together, went back to the store. It was gone and I was bombed. So, and this is like, I think the internet existed. Like there was probably like emails, but, um, I guess there was probably AOL, but there, there wasn't really like a World Wide web and guitar stores weren't really on the internet yet. Um, so what I did was I called up Rickenbacker and I had them give me a list of basically every guitar store, every Rickenbacker dealer in the country. And I just started going down the list, 
calling every single Rickenbacker dealer in the country until I found another one. No shit. And I eventually did. I think it was in Maryland. They had one. I can't remember the name of the store, but they agreed to ship it to me. So I bought it. They shipped it to me. I had the guitar and I still have it. But then, you know, fast forward a few years later, and this band comes through my studio and the singer slash guitar player of this band has a Rickenbacker 650. And I'm like, hey, man, where did you get that? He's like, oh, I got a Mr. Music. And I was like, did you get it in like 96? Or and he's like, yeah. And I was like, that's my fucking guitar. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, the one I wanted. Yeah, yeah. And it, it come to find out that it was uh, Elgin James. I don't know if you know him, but he's um, really quite a figure in the Boston hardcore scene. He's also the, uh, the writer of the TV show Mayans. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Did he sell you the guitar? No, no. I, I had bought one just like it from this guitar store in Maryland. So I, and I had been using that for years at that point. So that was the guitar that got away, I guess. It's so satisfying knowing where it actually ended up as well. You know? Yeah. Because that's I have a few and not knowing where they are is also so heartbreaking. Losing it's one thing, but then not knowing you know, what happened to it. Knock on wood, I've never had anything stolen. Oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, consider yourself lucky. Shit. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, and another question, so we'll, we'll wrap it up, but like, who are your influences? Who, who are the guys that made you want to start playing guitar? Like, who's your guys? Like at the beginning? Sure. Um, I mean, just, you know, sort of all the classic ones. Like, I don't really come from a particularly musical household. So it was just like what was available through like Columbia House tapes. <laughs> um, you know, so, the, you know, the Hendrixes and the Van Halens and you know, the, the Jimmy Pages and you know, that, that kind of stuff was definitely the first level. The next level after that was like Slayer. And I was like, listen to the way these motherfuckers solo. Like, okay. Yeah. Like, this is interesting. And then the next big thing for me after Slayer sort of simultaneously would be Sonic Youth and Pixies. If I was to explain to somebody that never heard you, I would say, think Slayer, Sonic Youth, and the Pixies. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, if you take that plus also, like, you know, New York hardcore. Yeah. Because, like, some of my earliest show experiences were seeing, like, the New York hardcore bands of the early 90s. So, like, Mucky Pup, um, (laughs) like, Leeway, uh, Biohazard. Um, That's crazy. You just said Mucky Pup. Joe and Rise Against and I are always referring to Mucky Pup. Well, I knew about Billy and the Boingers. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Like Confusion, Life of Agony, like Life of Agony when they had keyboards. That was like a very short time period, but it was amazing. Crumb Suckers. I never saw Crumb Suckers. I feel. I think I may have seen Propane. Okay, there was Propane, and then what about Ludacris? Never saw them. Um, I mean, Murphy's Law, I saw a bunch. Um, of course. What else? Well, I mean, you know, I missed out on a lot of shows because, like, prior to streaming, like, every show was a financial decision, right? It was like, it was like, can I buy a record or can I go to the show or can I buy a flanger? And, like, I kind of always prioritized my own music above <laughs> other people's. So, like... I bought more gear than I bought t-shirts or bought records. Or also, like, when I got into a band, I would buy one record from the band. And maybe I would tape the other records from friends if they had them. But, like, I'd be more likely to go buy a record from a different band than I would um, to get all the records from the band I like. So there's a lot of bands that I had, like, a weird point of entry to that. Like, my favorite Judas Priest record is Ram It Down. Because that's the one that I had, you know, it's right, a we- right, you know, right, right. weird shit like that. Um, or a lot of it's like, like my point of entry was like bargain bin records. So like, like drive like 
Jehu's Yank crime was on Interscope, and because that was like an unsuccessful record for a major label, that one ended up in the bargain bins. So that I don't even remember the name of the previous one that was like on like was on Merge or something. Yeah. Um, that record in Newberry Comics was like fourteen ninety nine, but like Yank Crime was seven ninety nine. So I bought Yank Crime, which in that case it works out great. But you know, in other cases, like I end up with like com- like a compilation tape or like a you know a bargain bin version of a band or something as my my point of entry, just because everything was a financial decision. I remember getting a. Uh... Black Sabbath's Mob Rules, you know, the Dio mm-hmm. record that nobody liked. And I love it, you know. I mean, it's but great. Same deal. It was like one of those nice price records, you know. Exactly. I think I had the, what was it, Seven Star? Yeah. Seven. The, one that's, the one that's called Black Sabbath featuring Tony Iommi. I don't even know who the singer is. I'll tell you who the singer is. It's Dean Martin's son. Oh, interesting. His name is like something Martin. He's Dean Martin's son. Wow. Someone needs to do like a some kind of documentary about the children of famous people. Yeah, I agree. There probably is something out there, but like, yeah, all the different bands that those people get involved in. Well, a lot of them become really shitty reality stars. Yes. Well, it's interesting. You think about like who their parents are and they might be, they probably aren't people that are both musicians. You know, it's like, I guess the classic is like the musician marries the model and ends up with a, with a child who's very, who's like pretty attractive and pretty talented, but not like exceedingly attractive or exceedingly talented. You know, Um, that stuff is really interesting to me. Yeah, me too. Well, uh, we could talk for hours and I don't, you're a busy guy as is above stated. Um, So I'll let you, get onto your thing really uh, i appreciate you talking to me but yeah no problem great great talking with you yeah we uh we nerded out for an hour man we did and we didn't have a sound check or some press thing or whatever and usually it's you and me backstage somewhere and people are trying to get our attention to go do other things so this was this was people we know are walking by yeah like, hey dude and, whatever yeah it's yeah. like fucking high school i mean i love that I, I do too well hopefully i'll see you again real soon buddy on the circuit on the circuit as they say yeah Uh, I'll talk to you soon, Kurt. All right. What a mind. You know, we need those minds, these creators, these visionaries. That's Kurt. Kurt produces bands. He makes guitars. He makes pedals. Um, He's constantly thinking. He's constantly pushing himself. It's endlessly inspiring. So I hope you enjoyed that. I really did. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I love doing this, folks. I love talking about guitars. I love talking about the instrument. I love talking to guitar players. I'm going to thank the folks at MXR and Dunlop for supporting us. They make great, great products. If you're a guitar player, a musician, and you don't have MXR products or Jim Dunlop products, then, uh, you know, remedy that. Go out to your local store, hit them up, get some of their stuff, man. It's all just the best stuff. So thanks, guys. As always, I'm talking to you at the end here uh, to leave you with a good example of Kurt Ballou's brilliant, wonderful guitar work. Uh, This is going to be the song Eagles Become Vultures off the You Fail Me record, which came out in 2004. And I chose the song because, A, I just love the song because it makes you just want to beat the shit out of all your neighbors. But the guitar work is just simply unbelievable. It's unbridled. It's um, feral, if you will. And Kurt really does bring something interesting to the conversation, something for us all to sort of ponder and take and and go and do likewise. 
So this song is definitely no exception. Uh, this one is, you know, it takes the hardcore template of a song, but if it somehow like supercharges it and, and, and tears the roof off of it. Um, also check out, honorable mention, check out their new record, Converge with Chelsea Wolf. It's called Blood Moon One. And again, just amazing piece of work. So check out Converge Anything. Check out Kurt Balu, anything he does. He also produces a ton of great records out of his studio and complex in uh, Salem, Massachusetts, uh, God City. Uh, check out his guitars he makes. Check out anything. So I will talk at you soon. Thanks for listening.